It's time for Video Store Wasteland. Hello and welcome to this episode of Video Store Wasteland. I am your host, Brian, and today we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, not entirely too different, but we're going to do, obviously, our normal movie discussion on the movie 42, uh, the Jackie Robinson story, which came out in 2013. But we're also going to look into the life and times and the impact that Jackie Robinson had on baseball and the racial climate of the United States. And we're doing this specifically because it is, you know, April 15th and it is Jackie Robinson Day. Well, I don't know if it's April 15th, the day that you're listening to this, but the day it is released will be Jackie Robinson Day. And for those that don't know, uh, Jackie Robinson Day is a day that's celebrated throughout the Major League Baseball, the late Major League, the MLB, um, and essentially everybody wears the number 42 in commemoration of Jackie Robinson and his career and what he did for, for the sport. And the reason it is April 15th is because that was his ma- uh, the day of his Major League debut for the Brooklyn Dodgers back on April 15th, 1947. Hence why Jackie Robinson Day is celebrated on April 15th throughout the major leagues. Now, without further ado, let's just get into it. But I'm going to go ahead and start by doing uh, a little bit of the discussion about Jackie Robinson, and then we'll get into the movie 42. But without further ado, the life and times of Jackie Robinson. There's not an American in this country free until every one of us are free. So Jackie Robinson was born Jack Roosevelt Robinson on January 31st, 1919, to a family of sharecroppers in Georgia. He was born the youngest of five children to Mally McGriff, which is his mom, and Jerry Robinson, his dad. Uh, he was named after Teddy Roosevelt, the president, who died 25 days before Robinson was born. So, you know, if you died that close to each other, why not name him after a great man? Uh, but after his father had left the family in 1919 when Jackie was just about a year old, uh, his mom moved him out to Pasadena, California. And that's where Jackie becomes more of this sports legend. Because, uh, you know, at first, you know, sharecroppers in Georgia. So if you don't know what sharecropping is, is basically that they lent out a a plot of land where the farmers would, would have to share the fields together and they wouldn't make all the money together. Um, as far as I, Remember it from my classes and, you know, dictionary definitions. That's what sharecropping is. Uh, that, that was a product. The sharecropping was a product of, was it the Reconstruction era in the South, so post-Civil War stuff. Uh, and a lot of Jackie Robinson's life does take place in that horrible racial period in the United States, post-Civil War, or post-Civil War and pre-Civil Rights Movement, about that 100-year span. So, yeah, like I said, Jackie Robinson and family moved to Pasadena in 1920. Uh, and this time is, you know, he grew up in relative poverty because, you know, California back then wasn't California we know now. There, are, there were, this, you know, people who had tons of money that moved out here, but California was really a land of opportunity back then. Everyone came here because it was just cheap land. And... Just try to try to get something done, get going. That's what really California used to be about. Uh, because he did grow up in relative poverty, in an otherwise affluent community. So affluent meaning that he was you know rather well off, and he was poor in there. And like I, he didn't really have that much access to many like recreational activities or opportunities. So he was stuck uh, joining a gang back then, which his friend Carl Anderson did persuade him to leave it. And from then on, you know, he would get into more sports through school and all that because he went to John Muir High School where he excelled in athletic pursuits, Jackie Robinson and his older brother, uh, who himself is a silver mel- was a silver, melodist, me- silver medalist in the 1936 Summer Olympics. You know, so that family was very, very much so athletics. And Jack 
Jackie Robinson himself was varsity level and lettered. And lettered just means, you know, you got that letterman jacket, you get the letter from the school. He lettered in football, basketball, track, and baseball. I myself also lettered, but in marching band. <laughs> uh, he played shortstop and catcher for the baseball team. Of course, he was the quarterback of the football team, and he was a guard on the basketball team. And in track, he did the broad jump, and he also did tennis. And I think broad jump is the one where, let's see. Yeah, broad jump is, is the long jump. So it's the one where you, you know, take a running start, jump into the sand, see how far you can jump. That's the long jump. Because of his athletic prowess, you know, he kept trying to go in that direction because he, he saw himself having that talent because he was very much so accomplished at a young age because uh, he did win the junior boys single uh, tennis tournament, which is incredible. He won a tennis tournament back in 1936, and then that earned him a spot on the Pomona Annual Baseball Tournament All-Star Team, which also included Ted Williams and Bob Lemon. So for you baseball fans out there, you know those names. For those who don't, there's Google. Sorry, I just don't have that much time to explain who Ted Williams and Bob Lemon are when I'm talking about Jack Robinson. Uh, so after you know high school, he went to Pasadena Junior College where he continued his athletic pursuits. And he was one of the 10 students in that year, or in third, 1938, where he was named to the school's Order of the Mass and Dagger, which is outstanding service, you know, so he, uh, in school and scholastic achievement. So that not only was he, you know, athletically gifted, he was also uh, academically and, uh, gifted. I was going to say scholastically gifted. Is that, is that like a, a way that you would say it? This during this time is where he he does show his trademark, you know, temper and anger. You know, he got a little bit of a scuff up with authority figures that he perceived as racist. And you know what? Good on him because he did eventually break the color barrier. And if he didn't have that in him, like that, that would have never happened. He was arrested in 1938 because of a vocal dispute with. Uh, officer because his friend was being arrested so he received a two-year suspended sentence uh, sentence uh but the incident itself gave him a reputation already of being combative uh in the face of racial uh inequity which cool so that's from an early age you should know jack jackie was already in it he was is about it and that'll lead into more into his his life because if he didn't have that fighting spirit in him like people were just awful to him when he joined the league because uh although he did you know have experience being with white folk in in that very contemptuous time in in the united states because he did go to ucla and uh you know, if, if you don't know where UCLA is at, it's in Bel Air. And if you don't know Bel Air, you just know that the Fresh Prince is from there. Bel Air, UCLA is very, very, very rich. That area, you have to go through like a private entrance to a certain point to get to the school. It's a public school, but to get to, to access through it, through the neighborhood, you have to go through like nice, rich neighborhoods. So we already had that like experience working with them and at uh ucla he went on and got varsity letters again in baseball basketball football and track so the guy was so so good at sports and he actually played for the ucla college football team which at the time actually was the most integrated football team or team in general and that was back in 1939. Is uh, he was one of a handful of of black players on the UCLA football team. In uh, track and field, he had a long jump, uh, or he won the long jump NCAA championship in 1940 with a 24-foot, 10 and a quarter inch jump. And apparently, baseball was his worst sport. 
He only hit at, at UCLA. He hit a uh, .097 in his only season at UCLA. And if you know, that is terrible. I could probably hit better than .097. But then again, that's probably that's against a pitching machine. This guy was facing live pitchers who were trying to, you know, beat him in the head. And he went four, but he, he in his first game, he did go four for four, which means four at bats. He had four hits and he stole home twice. So, damn, you know, stealing home is ridiculous. <laughs> you just did be able to do it. Uh, and at his time at UCLA is when he met his future wife, Rachel Isom, and later on became Mrs. Robinson. So, and after his time at uh, UCLA is when he got, you know, this is the time of the war. So, 1940 was that Pearl Harbor tax was 1941 and in 1942 Robinson got drafted and assigned to the segregated army cavalry unit out of Fort Riley Kansas this is all after him trying to get a football career off the ground where he played for running back for the Los Angeles Bulldogs of the Pacific Coast Football League this is before the NFL National Football League was an actual thing um a league of its the, the league itself had been around since the early 1900s but the NFL that we know of didn't exactly come to life until the 1950s 60s with the AFL NFL merger but like I said after his time trying to be a running back uh 1942 he was drafted and he applied for OCS which is the officer candidate school and although initially he was drafted under race-neutral drafting regulations and guidelines that the Army had, there were very few black applicants that were submitted or admitted into OCS. And as a result, uh, you know, his application, Jackie Robinson's application, was delayed several months. So he, you know, didn't... Uh, wasn't able to, to get into OCS that quick, but after months and several protests with, you know, Joe Lewis, who was also stationed at Fort Riley at the time, Joe Lewis is a heavyweight boxing champion and is uh, also with Truman Gibson, who was the civilian aide to the Secretary of War. Uh, you know, he was accepted to OCS, so he, he, he was able to make it uh, into um, an officer training program. So that's what he was. And he was commissioned as second lieutenant in 1943. And shortly after that, uh, he got engaged to his fiance, Rachel. Now, he was assigned, well, after he got his commission, reassigned to Fort Hood, Texas, uh, which I believe is one of the bigger in military installations in Texas, where he joined the 761st Black Panthers Tank Battalion. Uh, where, you know, I believe that Take Battalion was the first. Yeah, it was the his the first tank battalion, completely black tank battalion, to see combat in World War II. We'll get to a little bit more of what happened to that in a in a second. But uh, during his time at Fort Hood is when Jack Robinson decided to go to the Sam Houston College where he attended i guess to 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 further his uh his sporting career at that point because you know in july 6 1944 he got hurt because of an ankle injury that he got at the junior college and and because of that he he had to go to the you know to the fort station you know, get get checked out medically because, you know, there's one thing of having to go to a doctor over there, but if you're in the Army, you get to go to the Army doctors, right? And he got into an unsegregated Army bus line that they had commissioned. And at this point is where the bus driver actually told Jackie Robinson to go sit in the back, to which he refused until, you know, he reached the end of the line because the bus driver was like, all right, we'll take you, we'll take you to the Fort, we'll take it to Fort Hood, but at that point is where uh, military police, MPs, were brought on and forcefully took Jackie Robinson off of the bus. Now, 
this is an unsegregated bus line, so you would had to assume that they were gonna, you know, do this, do that to him, right? But wrong. It's Texas. Texas is its own different beast in of itself, like Florida, which later on Jackie Robinson will get to uh, when he formally signs with the Brooklyn Dodgers. But because of this, because he was taken off the bus, because he was quote unquote unsubordinate to the bus driver that didn't want to go to the back of the bus, he was court martialed, and court martialed basically means is uh, you know taken up to a tribunal of military judges that will then see if your actions will result in whatever penalties and punishments that you would receive. And in this case, because he was court-martialed, he's, um, Jackie Robinson's charges were reduced to two counts of insubordination during questioning, and he was acquitted by an all-white panel of nine officers. Uh, and because of his court-martial, uh, he never saw combat with his tank battalion. Like I said, the 761st Bank Battalion tank battalion was the first black tank unit to see combat in World War II. Uh, and after his acquittal, he was transferred to Camp Breckenridge, which is in Kentucky. So, you know, you're going from, you're going from, I believe his first one was, was Kansas to Texas to Kentucky. So as black man from California, where racial tensions were a little bit better, but not so great, because it is still early 1900s United States, this probably wasn't a great time for him, because he'll probably see a lot more, and when he gets to the Dodgers, it's, it just gets worse, in terms of, you know, the backlash he receives from the communities over there. But, uh, like I said, after, after he was transferred to Camp Breckenridge, he did receive an honorable discharge in November 1944, and there is where he met former Kansas City Monarchs, of which the Kansas City Monarchs are from the Negro American League. Uh, the Negro Leagues were just were created because of segregation and, you know, people just want to play ball. So you go play baseball in the MLB or whatever other leagues if you were white, and then the Negro Leagues were if you were black. And that's how it was until 1947 when Jack, officially broke the color barrier for, for baseball. And at this time is where he, you know, goes and he tries out for, for the team. And he, he wrote a letter to Thomas Bard, who is the co-owner of the Monarchs, to get that, you know, position. Or, you know, to be able to, to do that. So, like I said, at this time, he does try to go back to Sam Houston College uh, to be the athletic director of the college and then went on to the Southwestern Athletic Conference where he was the athletic director for there. He was the coach of the basketball team for Sam Houston, 1944-1945. And from there is when he's like decided to go more into baseball because his times in football really weren't doing it because of his ankle injury. So, you know, if you're trying to be a running back, uh, if your, your ankles hurt, uh, there's not much you could do because you got you to be able to run. You got to be able to carry that rock all the way down the field. Um, 1945 is where Jack Robinson uh, officially went to play for the Kansas City Monarchs, like I said, and he accepted the contract for $400 a month. So he played well there. Uh, but, you know, he was frustrated with, with the experience because he was used to everything being more structured under the college environments because, you know, college is already ex an established organization where they have their own rules and regulations and then just do stuff right there. But the Negro Leagues were super, super disorganized and were very, very heavily uh, entrenched with gambling at the time, which you know, for a Methodist like Jack Robinson didn't sit well with him. So you know, he didn't enjoy that time. His travel schedule did put a little bit of a burden on his relationship, which, you know, if you're in a long distance relationship, especially back then where your only forms of communication, if you're not available to get on a phone was letter and that's what he did. And that's just what it was. So at this time where he was playing, he played 47 games at shortstop, hitting 387 with five home runs, 
and 13 stolen bases. He appeared in the 1945 East-West All-Star Game where he went hitless in five at-bats. So, you know, he did pretty well in the regular season, not so much in the All-Star Game, but, eh, you know, this regular season's where it counts, right? Uh, so around this time and then in the 1940s, let's just go ahead and transfer this story more into the the Brooklyn Dodgers side. Branch Rickey was looking to sign a a player, uh, a black player, you know. And in the movie, you know, the scenes that are displaying that. So at this time is where he goes and he tries to sign uh, promising black players to the minor league team. The Montreal Royals minor leagues, you know, the MLB is the major leagues. That's the 30 teams that we know. And the minor leagues are basically where all the rookies, developmental players, uh, down and out players, they just go and play there to try to earn a spot back into the major leagues. And at this time, you know, like I said, Branch Rickey was the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And that was his main interest is to get somebody to play for him because he knew that he loved the sport. And he just tried to get as, as much light back into the sport that he loved as possible. And that's what he was trying to do by trying to break the color barrier here. He, being Branch Rickey, sat down in 1945, August 28th, with Jackie Robinson for three hours. And in this time, he asked him, you know, there's a scene in the movie about this, but he asked him, like, if he was able to not fight back. So the lines is actually in, in the movie because, you know, at this time, everybody knew about Jackie Robinson's temper, his anger and all that, and his, his overall willingness to fight, right? So what, uh, what, what Branch Rickey asks him is if, or, you know, Robinson goes, you know, are you looking for a Negro who is afraid of fighting back? And Ricky's like, no, I want someone who with the guts not to fight back to be able to turn the other cheek. Because, look, if you were white back then, you were doing this, you know, throwing verbal insults to somebody and they fought back, they as in a minority fought back, then guess what? It looks bad against the minority. It doesn't look bad against the white man who was throwing these racial insults at you first. So that's why, you know, Branch Rickey wanted that. He wanted not only to, you know, have a player who can play his fucking heart out on the field and leave it all on there, but somebody to set an example for the fucking people in the stands who are going to be saying some vile, nasty shit to you. And that's what, what Branch Rickey wanted and he saw in, in Jackie Robinson. And, you know, that's what, that's what we got. You know, at this time, my, like I was saying, the movie itself um, does take place between 1945 and 1947. So it, it does, this next part that I'm going to talk about does get a, is going to tie into the movie a little bit more. And uh, this is the time where Jack Robinson was playing for the Montreal Royals. Like I said, Florida is a different beast altogether. Because in 1946, he had to go to Daytona Beach, Florida, for spring training. Spring training is basically a training camp for for the entirety of the league. Starts around that time. But the manager of that uh, the, the the Royal Royals, uh, Montreal Royals, not Kansas City, because there is the Kansas City Royals now. He didn't want he didn't want him to play for the team. Branch Rickey insisted. You know, he wanted that to happen. And that caused several scuff-ups in, uh, in Florida. You know, the movie goes on to explain that he was run out of, of Stanford. Uh, you know, the police officers at, a, at a, one of the minor league games told him to leave the field because, you know, they didn't want white folk mixing with, with black folk. And, you know, like, they're just playing off fucking game and that happened you know, it's, it's just a game dude like it's just a game it's not that fucking serious but they took it as in they were like challenging their way of life. and there was there was challenging their way of life but like the man fought or you know we just fought a war against germany was killing 
six million Jews and countless others who simply disagreed with them. That's what the Nazis did. And then, you know, all these veterans are coming back from there to face this, man. Like, it happened to Muhammad Ali. He he won the Olympics. He came back and he had to sit in the blacks only section. He was wearing his... That story here, so aside from that, Muhammad Ali, who was Cassius Clay at the time, had won the Olympics gold medal for boxing. He comes back, tries to get a seat at the counter, gets told to go sit in, in, in the colored section. The man was wearing his gold medal. Like, that wasn't enough to, to qualify you. You know, like, then the, and, and just to say this is 1940s. Um, Say 1940s, 75, about like 75, 80 years ago is when this was happening. 1947, when he, you know, was uh, in the league, was 75 years ago. That's not that long ago. It is not. Like, we want to, we want to, it's not even a generation ago that that, this was barely a generation ago. Like, that, that whole attitudes don't die. And, and that's why I want to talk about, about, Jack Robinson, because he was, this is going to be more about his impact, because more of what comes next after this is what the movie talks about, so I'd rather just talk about the movie when I talk about these next parts of him breaking into the majors and all that. Uh, Jack Robinson did die October 24, 1972, and, you know, I'm looking at his baseball reference page, I'm just going to summarize his career, you know, uh, he, he had a career war of war, meaning wins above replacement of 63.8. He had 4,997 at bats with, uh, 1,563 hits, 141 home runs with batting average of 313, which is a pretty good batting average. He had seven, uh, 761 RBIs, 200 stolen bases, an OBP, which is on base percentage of 410, a slugging percentage 447, an OPS of 887, and an OPS plus of 133. Woo! All right, my baseball nerds know what that means for everybody who don't. Hey, there's John Boy Media. Go. Go learn there. I don't have time to explain it. He got, he's got a lot of episodes explaining what all those acronyms mean. Look, at the time, uh, there's a reason why baseball is called America's pastime because it was. And to understand what really it means about uh, Jackie Robinson bringing the color barrier, I'm just going to set these couple dates for you, is that they are the civil rights movement as we know it, um, you know, with Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and all those protests. That was between 1954 and 1968. So this is seven years after Jackie Robinson's debut in the MLB, seven years after he, um, you know, broke the color barrier. Uh, the Rosa Parks um, uh, bus protest, Montgomery bus protest. I'm sorry, I'm doing a lot of this off the top of my head. Uh, that was 1955, which, like I said, that's eight years after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. And if we count all that, that's still not, that's like seven, 70, 67, 67, 70 years ago. Still not that long a time ago. So back then, baseball was it. There wasn't an official NBA, that, or, or, or at that time, the NBA wasn't as popular as it was now, or is now. The MLB was, was it. There was no official NFL at the time, because if we do count the NFL from all the way back then, the Green Bay Packers have the most championships at 13. Go, Pat, go. Then the NHL... You know, it was more of a Canadian team because you have the original eight that were all East Coast teams. So baseball really was it because you got the MLB, you got all the minor leagues, you got the Negro leagues, you got these separate leagues, you know, the Pacific Coast League, the Atlantic League. There's just so many just 
organized baseball leagues, that you, you just got to know that that baseball was the sport back then, and that's why it was so impactful that Jackie Robinson did what he did to break the color barrier. Did, to have the guts to even want to continue playing ball, even after all these terrible and horrific just events happening to the man, you just gotta love it. Like right now, I'm wearing my my Jackie Robinson shirt. My my Roosevelt's are RSV LTS. I'm not uh, sponsored by them. I just love this shirt. Really fantastic shirt. I'm wearing my shirt right now, and just wearing it, you know, you feel different because. For me, Jackie Robinson does signify that strength that you need to have in the face of adversity to just continue. Fuck, just keep playing. That's all it is, really, and that's what he did. I love Jackie Robinson. I love baseball. I love what he did for the sport. Like, I'm being 100% when I say this. I, was, I cried at the end of 42 when I watched it yesterday. And it was just thinking about his impact and what he meant to so many people and what he, like, what he still means. Like tomorrow or today, April 15th, as we're, you know, as this is being released, all 30 teams across the league and all, however, hundreds of players are going to be wearing number 42 in honor of what this guy did for everybody. There wouldn't be a Mookie Betts for the Dodgers. Mookie wouldn't be there. There would be no Albert Pujols because, hell, if they weren't accepting black players, what do you think they're going to do with the international players? There wouldn't be a Fernando Valenzuela. There would be no Fernando Mania. <laughs> Just thinking that, that none of that would have happened if he didn't have the fucking guts to say, fuck you. I'm here. I belong here. You could tell me whatever. You could call me whatever the fuck you want to call me. But I'm here. I belong here. This is my sport. Now watch this fucking dinger. <sighs> Man, I love Jackie Robinson. I love baseball. And I had it. You know what? Before, before I completely break down emotionally, you know, because two things, my ill-prepared biography on Jackie Robinson and just thinking about the man and his impact. Let's just go ahead and talk about the movie, uh, 42. <laughs> uh, damn. All right, let's do the damn thing. I'm extremely proud and pleased to be here this afternoon, but must admit I'm going to be tremendously more pleased and more proud when I look at that third base coaching line one day and see a black face managing in baseball. Thank you very much. All right, so I guess now this is the time for the standard side of video store wasteland where we talk about the movie itself first we're going to talk about 2013 in film and this is really our first quote-unquote post video store movie the video stores kind of petered out 08 09 10 is when really gone really around 2011 uh because this movie came out in 2013 uh and like we always do, let's look at 2013 in highest grossing films for that year. And this is really where we get to where I don't, where I don't like the movie industry going because these are all sequels or remakes for the top grossing films. We have Frozen, number one. Iron Man 3, sequel. Despicable Me 2, another sequel. Hobbit, Desolation of Smog. Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Fast and Furious 6. Monsters University, Gravity, Man of Steel, and Thor The Dark World. Out of all those, two were original ideas and one was animated from that. The rest of them are all sequels. And it really pains me to, like, to see it because, you know, all the other years I kept mentioning this stuff, maybe there was one or two sequels, but then it was a lot more original ideas. A lot of adepts, adaptations, yes, because, you know, common names and recognizable faces is what brings people into theater seats. But this is a sad state of the movie industry. It, I don't know, it really pains me to see that many sequels up there. Um, 
Let's go ahead and look at other movies that came out that year. We're looking at stuff like The Heat, Where the Millers came out that year, Anchorman 2 came out that year, Star Trek Into Darkness, The Wolverine, Oblivion, Ender's Game. These these are all just sequels. But then we got like stuff like The Purge. The first Purge came out that year. VHS 2 came out that year. So if you're looking for more horror stuff, Oz the Great and Powerful, which I believe that was a Sam Raimi-directed movie. I haven't watched it. I'll probably see it because I think that was the last movie Sam Raimi directed before doing uh, Doctor Strange 2. And again, another sequel. Yay, I guess. Uh, Oblivion came out that year. American Hustle. Begin Again, which personally is one of my favorite movies. Uh, Begin Again, I definitely do recommend. Uh, and then And then we have a movie called Movie 43 that came out that year. Oh, and instructions not included. Uh, that's a good one. That's a great one. It's a, it's a Mexican movie with Eugenio Derbez in it. So if you're going to watch it, you're going to have to watch it with subtitles or, or the English version of it. You know, personally, I'm, I'm subs over dubs. All my anime fans know what I mean. I'm not that big. And this is for, for Derek specifically. I'm still working my way through Gundam, so give me time uh <laughs> anyway like i was saying uh, let's get into like what won best picture that year uh, best picture that year at the academy awards was 12 years a slave so there you go it's also the year that wolf of wall street came out so leo was up there same thing with matthew mcconaughey for dallas buyers club and matthew mcconaughey did end up winning best picture or best actor at that time so that's like 2013 film. We're looking more at sequels, which whatever way you think of it, for me, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of sequels, but I am a little whore for, for, for new content. So I still go see it no matter what. So catch me at Doctor Strange too. Just don't, don't say hi or say hi if you recognize me, but you won't. You'll only recognize the voice. God, I'm quiet in public, so good luck recognizing the voice. Anyway, um, let's move on to who directed, wrote, no, no, cast and crew of the movie of 42. I'm not going to say movie 42 because it's too close to that weird other ones, you know. Uh, movie 43. Let's go ahead and talk about the cast and crew of 42. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. That way they won't tell us apart. All right, so the movie was directed by a man named Brian Helgen. Helgen? Helglin? He's from Massachusetts and Rhode Island, but, like, I have no idea how to pronounce that last name. American, though. Uh, He is most known for being the writer of A Knight's Tale, which is featuring Heath Ledger, Man on Fire with Denzel, L.A. Confidential. He also directed, was Legend, I believe is his name? Yeah. Legend, where there's a movie where Tom Hardy plays uh, the twin, identical twin gangsters, Ronald and Reginald Cray. So that's where he's doing a lot of more of his work in, sort of like grounded stories, I guess, is what it would be. He also did the screenplay for Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. So, yeah, you got to start somewhere. And, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street's not the worst place to start. Anyway, we're moving on now to music. And music was uh, composed by Mark Ism, who also did the music for Crash, The Accountant, and The Godfather Harlem, which is a TV show on Epics. He also looking at Bill and Ted Face the Music. So he did the, the sequel for Bill and Ted. Now we're moving on to the DP, which is the director of photography, Don Burgess. Uh, who also did Forrest Gump, Castaway, Contact. So, he, you know, he has that sort of more grounded uh, idea of of film work, and, and that's really what, like, 42 is. I mean, you, you, you've seen Castaway, you've seen Forrest Gump, it's big, grandiose biopic movies about 
somebody's life. And that's what, and that's what this uh, 42 is about too. Uh, but he also did source code. He did the Muppets from 2011. He was the DP for Polar Express and 13 going on 30. <laughs> so I mean, you, you get, you get a little bit of everything with some people. Uh, unfortunately, no, there is no Star Trek or Fast and Furious connections with, with him, but he also, he, he was the DP for Spider-Man first Spider-Man. So there you go. The man who did 42 did Spider-Man and he did Aquaman. So he, he works. And we have the two, uh, two editors of this movie, Peter McNulty and Kevin Stitt. And I know Kevin Stitt was the editor for Jurassic world, which, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do, we'll do a whole series on the Jurassic world, Jurassic park series when, uh, for the new movie coming out. So, you know, for that one, you just got to hold on to your butts. Uh, I've been waiting to say something like that for a while. Anyway, that's really what we're looking at in terms of the movie and who made it. So it's got to be a very biopic-esque, some epic scenes and all that. But mostly, excuse me, if you hear it scratching, it is my cat. If you hear a little jingle jangle of a, a collar, it is, is a cat. So, what, what what can I do? Well, welcome to to Cat Ranch in the desert. If you're a fan of Mark Maron, you know what I mean when I say Cat Ranch. We're gonna now just go ahead and talk about the movie. I mean, we already talked about Jackie Robinson a little bit, and where I stopped off in terms of talking about his life in the previous part is where the movie actually picks up. So let's just go ahead and talk about Forty Two. All right, so movie itself takes place between 1950. Movie takes place between 1945 and 1947, which is the two years that he was in the minors, and then 1947 is the year that he actually, or he being Jackie Robinson, debuted in the major leagues uh, for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Brooklyn Dodgers back then, the Dodgers uh, didn't move to Los Angeles to 1959, and Jackie stopped playing for the Dodgers in 1957. So his entire career was spent with the Brooklyn Dodgers. He did help the Dodgers win the World Series in 1955. So, you know, there's that. Go Dodgers. It's interesting because, you know, the movie was produced with Epic, or not Epic, with uh, Legendary Pictures. And they start the movie off very epic. Like you, you would imagine that the beginning of the, that the movie would be a, like a superhero movie, just based on the music that the logo, not even the logo, is the title credits for the studios. It just sounds like uh, the current Marvel, I think, logo stuff. So if you watch Moon Knight or something, you know that little real thing that they show at the beginning it sounds like that a little bit you know, i mean it's a legendary picture so it kind of makes sense the movie does uh kind of surround itself in that post-war world of of the united states because it it is concerning a lot with uh wendell smith who is the uh, writer that helps Jackie Robinson out, and he was the first African American writer to be accepted into the Baseball Writers Association, which is a huge thing. If you are a, journal, a sports journalist, and specifically a baseball journalist, it's huge. So there, you know, it it, it uh, follows him, and that's what it what was going on a little bit. What 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 it is at the beginning, and it's weird that baseball does have this. They're unwritten rules in baseball. Give you an example. Two years ago, during the COVID season, Padres were were leading. Also, the season that the Dodgers won the World Series. Let's go Dodgers, twenty twenty Dodgers. Um, Padres were up. Tatis is up to bat. Bases loaded, and they were up by like I, I don't I, by a large margin against the Rangers, and they go ahead and hit a grand slam. Like, yeah, there's unwritten rules, but God dang, if that Grand Slam wasn't beautiful. Like, I, I get it. I get it. Sometimes you just got to say, you know, F the unwritten rules. But back then, the unwritten rules were you do not vote a black player with white, white players. Unwritten as in, like, you know, it's not officially in the ML, MLB bylaws, but, like, that was just society at the time. And that 
for some reason in baseball, if you break the unwritten rules, it is worse than than breaking actual rules. Like you you can charge the mound and punch the shit at the fucking the pitcher if you wanted to, but break a goddamn unwritten rule and your name is blacklisted from the sport. I don't. Hey, look, it's a lot of boomer mentality in the sport still. Sometimes I'm I'm with it, you know, fuck the nerds. But sometimes the nerds are right. So analytics may help, but sometimes the old style of of play could could still go out there. Eat a bulldog every once in a while. Shout out Earl Hershiser from the Dodgers, number 55. So the the movie starts with him on the Monarchs, the Kansas City Monarchs, and they're traveling. And he's Jackie Robinson is denied, you know, use of a restroom. And for that, he just goes and, like, says, no, we're not taking gas from here. And so early on, it does establish that, A, he has a temper. B, he's very strongly against racial segregation and racial inequity in the United States. That's what it sets up on because as soon as that happens, then you have the scenes with uh, Branch Rickey. Wow, that's his name, right? Yeah, Branch Rickey. Hey, uh, see. I watched the movie yesterday, so everything's coming off the top of my head and in my notes. Uh, so, yeah, he's stuff with Branch Rickey. Uh, he's trying to get him on the team. And his whole thing is that, you know, if he has the goods, he could play ball, you know, because, you know, I'm a Methodist. God's a Methodist. Jackie Robinson's a Methodist. And, you know, I'll put the clip in here. But, like, that's his whole thing. His whole Branch Rickey was not like, hey, you know, we know the only color I care about is green. So why the fuck should I care about him being black? He cared about money. And if Jackie Robinson was going to get the Dodgers to that next level in terms of income, because being a baseball owner and general manager is not a profitable enterprise, you know, you have that. Roy Campanella is mentioned earlier on in the movie. Later on, Roy Campanella and Don Sutton do join the Dodgers, other great, Baseball players, I think they were on the 55 team together. Yeah, so there's that. Oh, and the movie Pee Wee Reese is in it. So if you're a Dodgers fan, hey, fucking great, great movie to, to be like, hey, I know that guy. Uh, it, expl- it, it, it explains that uh, Jackie's hitting a 350. A 350 batting average means he's hitting one out of every three, one out of every three pitches the guy's hitting so out of out of 100 pitches he's hit he's hitting 30.5 so that's that's how that that works but soon after that um it does fall into your standard biopic sort of cliche uh, and i'm not saying that that you know it's formal i mean it is formulaic yeah i'm, I'm just saying it's formulaic so if you watched any sort of if biopic before, you would kind of guess what was what would happen next. And, you know, the only thing is, is if you don't know the story of Jackie Robinson, that's what you're t- taking out of it. That's what sets apart these biopics from each other. Most of them are just the same. And I'm glad that it only takes place within the two-year span because it could have gone through Jackie's childhood and all that. And then that's like a standard, standard biopic. And that's really bothersome to me like you don't need to know all that like for example the queen biopic was very 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 dull as in there wasn't much going on like yeah the kid has or freddie mercury has musical talent and he does a couple of songs child tribulations ends with the performance at the end i guess but then you have the elton john one which was way better because it, it tried to do something different. It was mixing in actual musical. And, and, and it sucks that this movie doesn't try to do anything different. I mean, it is a baseball movie. So it's just going to go under that baseball mentality in terms of what it's trying to show. Because his whole impact and all the, what's important is him playing ball and his events or the, the things that happened to, to Jackie Robinson when he did get in there. And that's what the movie shows. And it, it, it shows it fine. What it really, what I enjoyed more from it was the production design because it does transport you back into 1940s post-war America. It was showing these fields because I watched the, uh, some featurettes about the making of the movie and they did do 
go into some of the older stadiums that are still up because Ebbets Field, where the Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers played, it's not there anymore. You know, they they tore it down when uh, when the Dodgers left for Los Angeles. Uh, I believe the Giants, when they were the New York Giants back then, also did that. In 1959, both the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers moved uh, to San Francisco and Los Angeles, respectively. And a little side note about history, that's why we have the Mets. The Mets were there to fill the void that were left by the Dodgers and the Giants, and that's why the colors for the Mets are blue and orange. Blue for the Dodgers, orange for the, orange for the Giants. Let's go Mets. But, like I said, after that, it falls into the standard biopic, so they're going to show like instances of racial shit that happened to uh, racist stuff that happened to to Jackie Robinson. So you know he's taken off the plane manifest when he tries to get to Daytona for spring training. He's the only black family in the entirety of you know Daytona Beach, Florida. The questions that the the reporters and the journalists ask him are very are very much so like oh you're you're you sure you'd be able to fit in what if someone throws a ball ball at your head and and well in the movie he he responds by you know I'll duck uh I guess I guess I didn't say who's in the movie uh you know there's you know Chadwick Boseman plays Jackie Robinson Harrison Ford plays Branch Rickey then you got Christopher Maloney who plays uh Will DeRosha who is the manager of the Dodgers at the time. And you got a, you know, a bunch of the bit players in it. Uh, Alan Tudyk, who is from <laughs> Firefly fame, he's uh plays the races manager, of the Philadelphia Phillies. And just hearing the stuff that, that they wrote him to say, I'm like, Jesus. Uh, well, he was okay with it because he got paid. So I'm not going to be the judge of it. I'm just going to judge of the movie. I'm not going to be a judge of character. The way that the show baseball is good, because I I do know that they put the, the all the actors who were playing baseball players through actual training camp. So they had an audition plus a baseball audition to do all that. And with that, they, you know, actually try to put on an actual real game of baseball. So at least the game of baseball that was played back in the 1940s, because the game is totally different now than it was then. It's a lot less stealing, a lot more launch angles. It's really changed. But like I said, it shows his first game where he doesn't get a hit. He steals home and there's a balk. And if you know what a balk is, he pitcher steps off the mound in the middle of a pitching motion. And that's an automatic walk to the runner already on base. Look, the balk rules are ridiculous. I still don't know what it is completely, but I'm. That's my general understanding of what a Bach is. Bach spelled B-A-L-K. Uh, and, and, you know, earlier when I was talking about his life and all that, that's what it shows here. You know, he's got chased at a, at a Stanford, uh, Florida, by, by a gang of white boys. He uh, got run off the field by an officer in, in one of the games. And... You know, through all that, it just shows Jackie putting his nose down and keeping to the work. And bringing that, he just keeps playing ball, and, and, and eventually he does get called up. And then, like I said, the, the movie just follows that straight just biopic. And it's fine. You know, I'm not going to go fault against it. It, it. I think this is one of the more recent movies or any sort of media based on if of Jackie Robinson. I think the last one was maybe in the 2000s, early 2000s, late 90s, with Andre Baumgartner. It's the guy who plays uh, Detective Holt in, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He played Jackie in the 90s. Anyway, and uh, it does go on to talk about like the stuff that had happened between the players and Jackie. You know, they, a bunch of players signed a petition to not, be, to not play with, with him. And uh, DeRosha, who's the manager at the time, he did say, he's like, I don't care what color he is. If he can play ball and he make us win games, he's going to play. Like, love it or leave it. And they just had to love it because I'm going to love it as in, you know, not, not try to do anything about it. The interesting thing that does happen here is uh, that DeRosha does get suspended for the season on uh, 
a morality clause, but the movie does. I'll actually talk a little bit of the horse historical inaccuracies right now, but it's not really what happened. But the, the fucking crazy thing is that it's in the movie it explains his adultery and that's why he's got suspended for the year. Crazy that that gets you suspended for the year. Uh, but you know, it's 1940s. It's a different time. 70 years ago was that different time. Crazy to even say that 70 years ago, 70, 80 years ago, that's a, that it's not even a generation ago. Uh, movie's okay. You know, I like it. Uh, I'm just going to say with extreme, extreme biased, you know, being a Dodgers fan, being a huge fan of Jackie Robinson, of course, I'm going to say that, that I like it. It's a lot of stuff in the movie. Later on, you know, like I said, it, once Jackie actually goes from the minor leagues into the major leagues, plays for the Dodgers, 1947, uh, that's when all the really vile racist shit happens. Because as soon as he takes the, the field, people start yelling and screaming. All the players start yelling and screaming at him. Like, imagine your whole job. Like, first of all, hitting a baseball is one of the most difficult things in all sports. It is insanely difficult to hit a baseball. This is a ball about the size of your fist coming at you anywhere between 70 and 100 miles per hour, and it moves in the air. Not, does, not everybody throws a fastball. There's... Clayton Kershaw throws a nasty curve, okay? And we had, <laughs> we had Fernando Valenzuela throwing a, a knuckleball. He wasn't even looking. I mean, he lo- okay, looks at the sky in the middle of his pitch when he's pitching. He still gets you out. It is hard to hit a baseball. It is insanely difficult to hit a baseball. And then to catch it, the cheese. So that's your job. And then you add on top of that, everybody yelling, the most racist shit at you and some of the stuff that you may never heard. I mean, a man got death threats on the field, not just the ones that they sent to the, the organization. Like, they were going to run him off the field. And there's a whole scene where Alan Tudyk, who plays the manager of the Phillies at the time, it, he's going take, to like, take him out on the field. And his whole explanation at the end is like, hey, what? Like, when we face Joe DiMaggio, we call him the WAP. And then we face the other guy, we call him a, you know, I don't know how much I want to say these words. I mean, WAP, you know, means without papers and it's a derogatory term against Italians and um, European immigrants, but it's mostly against Italians. And, you know, Mick is against the Irish. And he's like, oh, we call this player Kike, and that's the Jewish slur. So, He's he's playing off his racism as like I'm equal opportunity, so it's okay, right? Um, so there's there's that. I mean, that's that's that. And then they go to from from playing Phillies into Cincy, and Cincy's worse. You know, it's right next to Kentucky. Pee Wee Reese explains that he's from Kentucky, doesn't know if he could play. You know, man. At this point is where you know we're heading towards the end of the movie. Everything's going to get wrapped up because it's not, like I said, uh, one of those biopics where it's their beginning of the life to the end of the life of Jackie Robinson. It's a look at two years in his life, 1945 to 1947, which, again, his two year in the minors, two years in the minors plus his year, uh, first year in um, the Major League Baseball, you know, Brooklyn Dodgers. That year, I believe they didn't get, they got, they won the pennant. Um, in the end of the movie, it shows that they go play the Pittsburgh Pirates again, where pitcher Austin Mueller, through their first meeting, throws at, at Jackie's head. Second meeting, you know, Jackie takes him yard, baby. And when I say takes him yard, means, you know, hits a home run. That's what that means. Again, like I said, if you want to know more baseball terminology, I might do an extra episode or go watch John Boy. Not sponsored, but, you know, great, 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 great baseball content there. So that's what we're looking at at 442. Like, it's rather formulaic, but if you are a baseball fan or a Jackie Robinson fan, someone who doesn't know about Jackie Robinson, I do recommend watching it because 
that's just what it, it's just it's just that it's just it that's all you're gonna go in for you shouldn't expect it to be anything else and like i keep saying for everything else you don't expect everything to be casablanca don't expect every new sci-fi movie that comes out to be star wars don't expect everything to be the godfather because if you set yourself up for that i mean like nothing is there's only one godfather there's a reason why there's godfather 2 and we won't talk about the third one and you know what i might actually talk about the third one eventually but at that point it's 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 what it is that's what we're looking at um yeah i I would recommend it it's interesting that this is our first uh modern movie i guess not video store era stuff but again it's um something i just wanted to do for for the day uh the special day you know jackie robinson day april 15th so without you know further ado i'm just gonna end it right here go ahead and watch the movie i don't believe it's on any streaming sites currently what i usually like doing is uh just watch which is great it uh you know just lets you know what's on streaming what's not but i don't think i don't think 42 is on any streaming sites currently one pair of pants later. No, I was wrong. Uh, 42 is actually on HBO Max. So there you go. If you want to go watch the movie, if you want to go watch the movie, it's on HBO. Go ahead and do that. And watch some baseball. Why not? If you're a T-Mobile customer, you get, you get MLB TV for free. You may not be able to watch the Dodgers, the Angels, but you'll be able to watch the Mets. And what's better than watching the Mets? can list off several things better than watching the Mets, but I don't have the time for it. So from here at the Wasteland, this is Brian, and uh, thank you for joining me here. I love you guys, and I hope to see you once again here in the Wasteland.